Hi, and welcome to our podcast, There's No Business Like No Business. We'll have conversations with all types of people in the live events industry to see what's been going on, or not, over the last year, and what hopefully we'll be looking forward to soon. We'll expand this a bit to see how the COVID downturn has affected our friends in the worlds of performing arts, travel, and hospitality. As a matter of fact, we'll talk to just about anyone. Here to guide us along the way are your hosts, Dave Eveson and Andrew Douglas. Andrew, welcome back. It seems like it's been uh, 10, 11 days since the last time we uh, sat down and went through one of these things. Very true. I have yet to leave the bunker that is Maddox's podcast studio. That is the best podcast. Pod- it is. For, for those of you who, who can't, can't see or don't know, my, my seven-year-old son has an elevated bed and the podcast studio has been erected underneath. And it reminds me of, of camp. Like when I, <laughs> if I was, I always for some, for some reason wanted the bottom bunk and I just look up and there are the springs and that's exactly the way it looks like you are. Welcome to camp. Podcast Camp. <laughs> podcast Camp, where we learn to get the audio right. <laughs> that's an inside every joke. Every we, week. Every, well, sometimes it just is fine, and this week it wasn't. And uh, so, so today, I, I seem to not remember to do this on any of the previous uh, episodes, but today is Tuesday, March 16th. So now looking forward or looking backwards, we know where we are in time. The other ones are just, hi, you know, it could have been last fall or the summer. And if we pretend well, they, they are all, snippets in time. They are. But I think you if, could take them, you know, everyone's going to know that based on some of the topics that we're discussing, that, that there's a range, say COVID, and they're going to know it's last year or this year. Wouldn't it be funny, though, if I uh, introduced us as we were in, say, June 1st, 2020? One little bit of information, guys, before we go too crazy. Buy Tesla. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been a good one. And just leave that there. And it's, oh, my God, this is like last summer's episode, and they forgot to send it out. Look at me. I'm down... 852% on my stock portfolio. And in jail. And in jail. (laughs) Oh, sometimes that's where I think I should be, but uh, I digress. Um, Today is also the day that I kind of went digging for something which uh, I found, and it is a little document, about a 30-page document, uh, and it is produced by the Live Performance Health and Safety Advisory Committee and the Ontario Ministry of Labour, Training and Skills Development. There's another business card, like SINs. It's just like, goes on and on and on. Uh, It is the Live Performance Health and Safety During COVID-19 Best Practice Document. So this isn't law. This is is, um, a document that they produce to help us uh, 
kind of navigate, I think, the going back into a live situation. And uh, it is fairly encompassing as far as uh, audience, uh, actors, musicians, technical staff, loading docks. And uh, I, I went through it and uh, with my cup of tea and my bowl of oatmeal this morning. And uh, I found it to be actually quite good. Uh, at least it's a starting place. There's a lot of do this, do that, do this, do this, and uh, it goes on and on. Uh, but I think that uh, coming up maybe next week, but I don't think you're around next week. I think you're you're uh, taking a vacation. No, from but I'll vacation. certainly take it. Yeah, I'll, it's it's Maddox's uh, March break, but I, I'll certainly take it with me to read uh, and. I, I can only imagine it's a little more exciting than your daily boring Facebook posts. So uh, I'll, I'll take some time on that. Jeez, thanks. I, <laughs> my daily boring Facebook posts, which aren't daily, they're just there's just like numbered boring Facebook posts. It's like the most boring Facebook post of the day. That's that's what I've said. Now I said day, maybe it, it's something that I should do every day. But people would get bored of my boring posts. So I'm kind of limiting them. I, I hope that people understand that I'm not making this stuff up. I, these are actually my thoughts. So when I, <laughs> when, I, when I publish that in Facebook, that's actually what I'm thinking at that particular moment. And uh, so now people can re make real fun of me because they actually know, like, oh my God, he's thinking that the plain Greek yogurt is less sweet than the vanilla. So Dave... Uh, I'll just say, mission accomplished. Yeah, thank you so much. You're getting pretty feisty on this. You're after me for some reason. I don't know what's going on. That's good, though. I like a little combat every now and then. But I think I think we should dedicate one, say, half-hour episode to going through this. And I think you said you were going to go and dig up the... Uh, the there's a U.S. Uh, IATSE. Yes, uh, there's a there's a few of them. The the IATSE one is... is pretty comprehensive and there's there's uh two others there's one that's a state of california that i i've flipped through but have not done a comprehensive read but there there are a few i'll pull those out i'd, I'd really like to see uh how they compare for sure yeah i i'm uh i'm just leafing through something uh, and actually there's there's something i wanted to ask my guest in here uh our guest not my guest I wouldn't have offered a spot in the show for this guy, gal. Well, <laughs> oh, guy, gal, it guy, doesn't gal, really matter. Whatever. No, no, it's um, a guest. Yeah, it's a guest, and and we're we're darn happy to have that person here. But I, I there there was this thing about uh, masks. I'm I'm sure by now everybody knows, but it says that the mask that most people are wearing are really only to protect other people from your droplets. And the only ones that will protect you are the N95, according to the North American uh, rules and regs. There, there is the KN95, which is the Chinese version. And yes. although it's supposed to be quite good, it is not as good as the N95 North American one. 
but they were quite specific. And, and actually, here's the little, that's what I was digging up while I was talking. Uh, it says, source control masks and face coverings are not considered PPE. The main purpose of these masks is to protect other people, not their wearer. Medical masks, when used along with eye protection, are considered PPE. The purpose of PPE is to effectively protect the wearer. Correct. Yeah, it's funny you should say that because we did have that that issue. The one shoot that I did, we were issued N95s at the beginning of every day and halfway through the day every day. And we did have one of the guys on the on the crew saying, I'm really just comfortable in my own mask. And of course, the response was, your fabric mask is not considered PPE. Yes, we appreciate the fact that you're wearing it at other times, but on this production, you will wear an N95. Yeah, which which is, in the long run, I now have to throw out $1,158 worth of Lightworks cotton masks that I, <laughs> I thought that uh, would be really good advertising on site. Right, so we're going to go through your neighborhood, and instead of shoes crossing over telephone and power lines, there's just going to be Lightworks masks hanging? <laughs> you... you you just wait till you get your Christmas basket, I tell you. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, I think we should we should have our guest on. Who are you going to introduce today? Oh, gosh, I forgot about that. Hang on a second. Okay, here we go. Uh, this is Tony Ambrosi. And I'm just going to read a little paragraph. It's, I wrote, and I, I went to his LinkedIn page and mixed it up with a little bit of a little bit of Dave, a little bit of LinkedIn. So here it goes. Tony Ambrosi is a Toronto-based stage manager who works in the corporate events world. He has traveled extensively throughout North America and the Caribbean, managing shows and keeping them on their tracks. He has extensive theater experience and has stage managed shows such as Stratford Festival's Long Day's Journey into the Night, the Toronto production of Sunset Boulevard and Phantom of the Opera, and later became the production stage manager for the Blue Man Group. During his 20 years in the theater industry, Tony has gained a keen eye for creative. This includes stints with Disney Cruise Lines and live events. Ladies and gentlemen, Tony Ambrosi. Yay! Hey. I, I just want to know what you picked for my walk-on music. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's exactly it. <laughs> Uh, welcome, Tony, and, uh, and and you can see by, or hear by what we're chatting about and, and the level of professionalism we have. <laughs> this is this is more like, uh, you know, three guys around sipping cocktails in a bar than it is, you know, doing the National or, or CNN or something. It's very loosey-goosey uh, along with the scripting. As you That's good because I'm not a Peter Mansbridge. And I'm not Cynthia Dale. <laughs> <laughs> I, w I want to know kind of how you got into this business, Tony. Like, what what were you doing that suddenly said to you, "I want to be in theater"? Was did this come from an acting side? Did you want to be a songwriter, singer, dancer, thespian, and then you fell into this, or did somebody say, "Hey, I I've got a cold. I can't make make it to call the script. Can you sub in and do it for me?" Well, I, di I, I definitely didn't want to be an actor. Uh, I met a group of people at York University that uh, had started a theater 
uh, production company. Uh, and they needed some help. And they said, well, what day can you be here? And I said, well, I can be here every day. And the stage manager said, great, you're going to work with me. That was it. I basically started working with her, was the assistant stage manager on two shows, and then got thrown in as the stage manager. We didn't get paid. We built all the sets from garbage that we found on the street. Uh, <laughs> but we did some good shows. So from there, it just developed, and I kept meeting people and kept being brought on to pro different projects. And basically, that's how it happened. So is there a formal way to become a stage manager? Or do you think that a lot of a lot of people just like happenstance become a stage manager or assistant stage manager? Because it seems like a, a job that you could kind of like you did fall into and and then take a little baby steps, you know, be beside the stage, help read the scripts and, you know, make sure things are, are going and then slowly move up to front of house and, and actually you know, start calling small shows and, and build up from there? I think everybody has their own path that they find to take them into this direction. I never knew of it uh, because I didn't grow up watching too much theater uh, other than a couple of times a year when we'd go to the Stratford Festival or to see a show somewhere downtown Toronto. Uh, but there are people that go to school and find it beneficial to do that route. I didn't find it that way. Uh, I was a little more aggressive. I wanted to get in there and get my hands dirty. I didn't want to do it at school. I wanted to do the business. So I just kept pushing and uh, just kept me meeting people and developing and learning a lot. I learned a lot from actors. I learned a lot from directors and other people in the industry. So, but everybody's got their own path of how they get there. So mine didn't include school. Looking at you, you mentioned going to the Stratford Festival as a kid and you have worked at the Stratford Festival. What was it like working at the Stratford Festival, your first working on your first performance? How did that feel knowing that you'd been there as a kid and watching it? Well, for me, it was exciting because we got I got offered my first contract was in 94. Uh, and I was the stage manager. I was production stage manager. I got hired as production stage manager uh, to oversee the third stage, the Tom Patterson. Uh, and the only show that I actually stage managed was Long Day's Journey and Tonight. So I wanted that show. That's the one that I wanted. I had no vision for any of the other shows. That's the one I wanted. That's the one I got. Uh, and I wanted it because of the performers. I wanted it because of uh, William Hutt and Martha Henry, Tom McCamus, Peter Donaldson, uh, uh, Martha Burns, and because of Deanna LeBlanc, who was the director. So I wanted that show. Um, when I went to the interview, that's what I said. The production manager was Vito Zingarelli. Uh, he was only there for two years and he said, what, what do you want to do here? I said, I want to do Long Day's Journey. So that was it. So I was pretty excited about it.
this is the problem with with sitting beside Tony and chatting to him at front of house when we're running a show or after a show in between is Tony will whip off about 20 or 30 names and and yeah maybe one or two of them I'll just nod was it one okay maybe I know William Hutt like as far as you're recognizing the name and and uh, Tony is always really good with names of people he he's worked with or seen plays with and and uh, and it kind of drives me crazy because I every now and then have to look at my own driver's license to find my name, <laughs> let alone <laughs> let alone anybody else's. So uh, so I congratulate you on on doing that. Uh, so so was that play your first play, or did you do something like that? That was your kind of crowning glory in those days. That you was like, okay, I've, I've done long day's journey, and now. Now that's it. I can I can go and find something I want to do other than this because that I've done this now. I'm good. Well, no, that wasn't my first play. I had done quite a few plays by that point. Uh, I had started in alternative theater, uh, a lot of alternative theater. That's where I started. Uh, then moved on to do, do the different shows at Canadian Stage, for instance, or the Tarragon Theater. Did some great work there at those theaters. Uh, did Forever Plaid for a little while, uh, and then moved up and got to Stratford. But then once I did my two seasons at Stratford, for me it was time to go. Because I needed to challenge myself on something else. So at that point, um, Sunset Boulevard came into the picture. Uh, it was a new show. Uh, Technically, it was very involved because there was a lot of automation. I mean, if you had seen the set, it was an incredible yeah, set. Yeah, I did, I did. I saw that show. It was a great show. Yeah. Um, so that was fun because I wanted to learn to call that type of show. I mean, everybody says, how can you call those shows? I mean, the reality is, is that it's the same feel. The job is the same. There's just more people that you have to deal with. Right. So. Well, it, it's funny, again, you, you mentioned that it, it, calling a show that complex, I I recall uh, seeing Ka in Vegas, I, and phenomenal Cirque show, but I was fortunate enough to, to see that show from the audio booth and hearing the stage manager calling the show in the audio booth. And there's, you know, 1,500 cues, 2,000 cues in that show. In what we do a lot of the time on the corporate side, every cue is, every cue is an important cue, obviously. But, but if cues are missed, it seems like people go ballistic. And the one thing that I noticed listening to the call of the Ka show was the stage manager calmly saying, I guess we're not doing Q four hundred and thirty-two today. But doesn't that four four forty-five four forty-six go? Mm-hmm. But d- like, okay, it wouldn't, if you one. miss Let's Q four forty-five, wouldn't that be like one of the trampoline people going right into a wall? <laughs> What's well, like, always possible? Seems, that just it seems like something of, you can't miss. It, it is, and they, there were certainly a, you could tell there were a number of cues that that weren't hit that were you know special effects. It may have been a fog fire that was right. you know mm-hmm. a, a little bit behind, or could have been 
God forbid, a lighting cue. Um, but it's interesting how once you get to a show that complex, that missing a cue seems to just disappear. Whereas on the corporate side of things, generally uh, it's missing a cue is not going to go over that easily. Well, I think in theater, you learn to get past it because the reality is you still have the rest of the show to do and you have to make sure that the audience is getting a good experience and that the actors are safe and they're going to be okay. So really, you just have to let it go. You make note of it, obviously, but then you let it go and move on because you don't want to mess up the next 10 cues because you're still talking about the ones you missed. <laughs> That's so, never happened. Never. You happened. know, and in, in corporate, a lot of times that's what happens. People start, oh, I don't know what happened there. I'm like, just move on. Let's go. I, Keep I going. think I think because in a in the corporate world, there are so many eyeballs on the stage that belong in that in the corporation that they right. they each person has a job to look out for, you know, where the slide is or if there's a, a capital T or if, you know, somebody's right. two They're seconds much late invested. for an entry, way mm -hmm. more invested than an audience sitting there with a bag of popcorn or like, I guess I find where, when did theater suddenly allowed us to go in and eat and drink and be merry? I thought it was like, you know, you, you can get a little bag of stuff and sit down in your what? seat and, and just start eating in the middle of a really quiet scene. I just find that kind of outrageous. So, but yeah, it was, I digress. I go back to our cue calling. <laughs> Are you feeling hungry there, Dave? I'm actually gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna go get a couple of cookies for the for the next half of this. Today on the picnic episode. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, I agree that it seems to be that the corporate side is maybe there's there's not 4,500 cues, but uh, you know I certainly know working with Tony that if I didn't bring up that the CEO's podium light exactly when it should have gone. You know, if I don't get a stapler in the side of my head or something, <laughs> a, few, a few polite cusses coming from Tony, which he's very good at. I excel at that. You, you do excel at that. Yeah. yeah. We should get somebody like, like Matt Mills or something to find out uh, in on the, the heavy duty rock and roll side, you know, that goes like, I get a stapler in, in the head if, uh, if I do it on a corporate show in theater, it's just blown right by. You don't even notice it. And it, in the, on the rock tours, you all laugh and have a good time. Say, Oh, I blew that one. <laughs> so, right. So it's like the three different sections of, uh, of showbiz. I, I think, I think again, it's, it's, it's just how, how invested you, you are in it and having that person, you know, I've been there before not, not recently, but, I've certainly been there where I may have been a tad late on a on a queue and I've got client on comm next to me and the client's looking at me and saying in between queues, are you good? Are you ready for the next one? Are you good? Yeah, yeah. Because what happens is as soon as you mess anything up, you've got client in your ear thinking that they're going to save the day by making sure that they're going to annoy you and pester you until you get the rest of the queues correct. One, one thing I'm astounded at with all stage managers is the amount of work when they're on site that you guys do. Uh, we get to walk away in a lot of cases and, you know, oh, look, it's 9 p.m. And, you know, yes, we were up at, at 6 and we were rehearsing at 6.30. But when I come down, 
the, the likes of Tony and, and many other people that I work with, they've been there for an hour or whatever, shuffling paper, killing trees, as they call it. Uh, and then when we leave, there's the, the rewrite of the rehearsals and, you know, rescripting for, for the slides, for the PowerPoint, whatever you work until midnight in your room and then come down the next day, you're there before us again. And, uh, the only part of your job I get really jealous of is when the show ends and I see you go, <laughs> well, that's it. And, and you fold up your, your binder and you go, see yeah. at the lobby bar in 10 <laughs> <laughs> like, like, no, our actually the uh, our crew shows up in half an hour, and we'll be there in we'll seven in hours. Four hours. <laughs> in four <Yeah>. hours. <laughs> see ya, suckers. See ya, suckers. <laughs> well, it's shout out time again, and today my love goes out to the Patterson House in Nashville, Tennessee. It's a really cool, old school, speakeasy style cocktail bar and lounge. They've, of course, got amazing cocktails, whiskeys, you name it, they can make it. But it's not all about the drinks. They also do a brunch on Sundays, which is out of this world. For more information, you can visit their website at thepattersonnashville.com. I do we do want to go back one step here into your introduction where you've now you've been at Stratford you say you want to take that next step you've done this you want to challenge yourself again and then at the bottom of the introduction which is again part of your uh, LinkedIn thing it says Disney Cruise Lines. So I want to know how you go from reaching the pinnacle of Phantom and Long Day's Journey and all of that dive right into the world of cruise line shows how did that happen it was it was interesting i wanted to get away for a while and i thought well this is a kind of a way of being able to do something new and still be able to travel Mm. uh what i didn't i i knew that it was a seven day a work week you know so it's basically you're on board for six months and it's seven days a week because your audience basically departs on the Saturday morning and then come the next group comes in that same day. So, um, but it was just a way to do something new and have some fun with it. I don't think I would go back at this point. Well, I'm, I'm just glad Tony that you, you got out before you got (laughs) stuck on board for two months or three months or whatever that one ship was, was out there forever. I can only imagine had that been a Disney ship, with Frozen going, that there would be quite a few people jumping overboard. Correct. I'd be on that man, that lifeboat, you know, paddling away. <laughs> Not again. <laughs> yeah, it was it was good for when I did it, and it was great when I left. But that's how I feel about most of the things that I've done. You know, Stratford was one of them. Uh, Disney Cruise Line was another one. Uh, also, when I left doing the big musicals, it was time to move on. I knew that it was time to move on and I didn't want to do theater anymore. You know, and I had done quite a few different things for Harbor Front, for instance, these honorariums were uh, homages, sorry, that uh, they were, we did one for 
Robert Rauschenberg, uh, another one for Peter Gabriel, another one for uh, Quincy Jones, Lily Tomlin, uh, just wow. all sorts of stuff. So they were really interesting. Uh, Bernardo Bertolucci. So those were really fun. There he goes of, with those names again, just <laughs> off the tip of his tongue. Yeah, but these were all kind of fun events to do. Um, so, but when they come to an end, it's time to move on, you know? Right. So, uh, I never so, wanted to linger. And I also never wanted to let other people decide what I was going to do next. Right. So is that what drew you to the corporate side of things? Um, yes. the fact that you have a choice and you can say, Hey, yeah, I'm going to do this one. I'm not going to do that one. Or, yeah, I mean, at, at this point I I'll take any corporate show, but, um, it, during, during <laughs> the busy times, I would imagine that, uh, that, you know, you've, you've got your choice of projects and you, and you choose and, and it gives you that variety that you may not have had before. Yeah, I think there's definitely people and companies that you like working for and other ones that you might not care for as much. Uh, so you get to pick. Uh, there's also plenty of stage managers out there that do an really amazing stage managers in theater as well as corporate. Um, and there's always been room for all of us because the different personalities would pick each other. You know, sure. so I would basically work for the same people and Judy, you know, Kavanaugh would put, work with somebody else or Brian Conrad would work for somebody else. But we all get along really well. Um, but personalities is what kind of makes an amazing team. So and these are teams in corporate corporate work. You have to work in teams, you know, so you trust for instance, when I work with Dave, I trust that he's going to give me some great lighting. So I don't necessarily have to call every cue because I know that I'll call four cues and he'll do 12 in between each of those four cues. Sure. You know, but that's part of the teamwork, you know, and that's what I like about corporate. But I also like being able to say no when I don't want to do something. Right. Working with somebody as a stage manager for years whether whether like you say it's judy or or uh you tony or brian or but there, there's so many great people as you said and each person has their own personality and wants to mm -hmm. call the show uh, a certain mm -hmm. way and i know that with you where i feel comfortable to to kind of go oh you know i think it would look better if i just threw this in on that next cue and I do it and, and, you know, you, you give me the reins to do it. And then there's some people that would be looking for that stapler you usually throw at me and throw it at me. <laughs> Why are you doing this? Like, that's not, that, that looks like crap. And but so that, you, you just have to trust thing, right? Yeah, I mean, that that's trust. Yes. That's yeah. trust that, that evolves, that builds over time working together. You know, I, I, have vivid memories of a couple of stage managers that I've worked with that at the beginning, they were all over me. And, you know, 15 years later, you can hear them saying, okay, is everyone here? Everyone's here. You're going to do this. Andrew's going to do whatever he does yeah. over there. And, yeah. and we move on. And, and it's, it's, that's just trust that, that we've all got each other's backs. Yeah. 
Most definitely. And I think it actually translates towards the clients as well, because a lot of us have clients that we've worked with for years. Mm-hmm. And so there's one particular client I'm thinking about right now, Allison, that what I do is she's always at the front of the room and I call the show from the back of the room, even during rehearsal. Uh, but if I see something that I think could do, can go a better way, I take off my headset and I start to walk towards her at the front and <laughs> she'll she always, anna- and she announces, she's yeah, exactly. She announces, she says, Oh no. Tony's coming. He's got a different idea. <laughs> well, they, so, I think I think some clients look to to stage management for that. I mean, they're you guys are the pros uh, in a lot of cases, and uh, and and but there are also the people who you know. How dare you think that? And you're usually stopped by about four or five people before you get to the stage right. who are more invested in the show than the person up on the stage. Now, I'm not going to shoot myself in the in, in the foot here because uh, you know I make my living off off this business and and I love it and so I should probably stay away from saying things like that but that happens like, <laughs> uh, that there are people that that feel very strongly about the way things are going or the way things should be done and so whether you're a seasoned stage manager or what have you then you know that it won't matter to them uh, but it's so nice when you get a client that has the the wherewithal to trust somebody's input right and the reality is 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 all i would love to just put put my input in there you don't have to agree with me we don't have to do it that way uh but it's nice when a client trusts you enough to listen Mm -hmm. and bounce ideas back and forth with each other so you know i i have to say that i've been very lucky and in covid time uh we lost a lot of jobs, uh, but I've been fortunate enough to keep busy. Uh, and I still have a lot of the same clients that I'm still working for. I just don't, I'm not in the same room with them. I'll be at the studio and they'll be at their home offices. Right. Yeah. So yeah, you don't get to see them. Maybe we, that's a good time to, to kind of break into the whole discussion about what's happened with you the last 12 months kind of thing and uh, how how shows get called now versus 12, 13 months ago and how you may see them kind of being called in the future if there's much change or when things start to open, you know, having, you know, is there much thought about having these, what we usually do are those big 10, 12 person round table discussions, you know, paper read throughs and, and all of that, that, that to me seems like something that may have to be done a different way, uh, to mitigate the, the risk of potential infection, because we're not going to go back, uh, in September, October, November, December, January, whatever the date, the chosen date is that we start we're everybody's still going to have that in the back of their mind that we shouldn't be sitting around pushed together with our binders and and you know not enough room for a cup of coffee discussing what the rest of the show is going to look like well i think it still stems from the run sheet so what we used to do in those 12 people 15 people around tightly around the table is going through the run sheets but stay as 
part of our job as a stage manager is we still do the run sheet. So it still has to be done, whether or not we're physically around a table or all in our different locations. Like uh, a lot of the shows I do now are, I go into the studios, uh, but I'm in a room by myself. Uh, in some cases, I've been put in a simultaneous interpretation booth, like a translation booth, and it's got a lid and it's kind of like a little terrarium. Uh, you know, and it's a stage manager's terrarium. Do, do people throw you lettuce at lunch? Is that what you hear? Correct. And I just bite, I, I chew on it, you know. Um, but I think it all st still stems from that run sheet because you still have to do the run sheet. You still have to give the crew a fighting chance to be able to give them an idea of what this show entails. You're still, everybody's still at their station rather than around the table. Uh, and we, you still talk through it and stuff, but you, you don't necessarily plot through it. You basically talk through it in order, because the screen states still have to be built uh, because, right. you know, what the audience sees is still has to be discussed whether or not it's going to be a split screen with PowerPoint on one side and iMag on the other. Uh, but it's also thinking about what the audience's experiences. And so when I do shows, I like to sort of think of the person that the, the audience watching on a little monitor, you know, on a little computer monitor. So a presenter has PowerPoint. I like to go full screen PowerPoint, or I go into little iMag window and a bigger PowerPoint window. Because the problem is, is that how small is that content going to be on a tiny little screen if there's too many pips opened up like you know picture yeah. in pictures so it's a visual thing for you for you yeah i have to think about it from an audience perspective but then we also have to think about it from a presenter perspective because a lot of these people are at home sitting mm -hmm. on sitting in front of their computer and they're looking at a presentation on screen and what do they want to see? Do they want to see a timer? Do they want to see themselves? Uh, sometimes they want to see themselves because they want to be able to be able to center themselves in the shot. Well, that, that brings up an interesting question because how do you control what the audience is going to be watching on? And like you say, well, you don't want the pip this big and you want this to come in and, and all of that. But if somebody's looking at it on, on their Samsung or their iPhone or a tablet, or they've got their screen resolution set too small. Like that's infinite possibilities. It must be, must drive you crazy. I think in some cases it still has to come from the client and they still have to send out instructions as far as when they register for an event, what they should be, the, what they should be watching it on. So they try to, tell people not to watch it on their cell phones. They want them to see it on their laptop computers. And it's got instructions for resolution on, for resolutions and stuff. Um, the crews that I've been working with uh, have all been really good about making sure uh, they take a lot of stuff into consideration because the problem is, is that sometimes we we're on their coming in on Teams or Zoom, but they're coming into a broadcast and then we're sending it out on something like On24 or Stream Me or which 
trust me, like my head still spins when they start talking about that stuff because <laughs> there's so many platforms. There's so many platforms and they're not all the same and they're not all great. So it's just, I did one in October that I had to call things at three different times because of how it was being broadcast. So I would call the queue, I would start something on one platform and then 10 seconds later I would start it on another platform and then three seconds later I would start it on another platform. It was just wrapping your head around that stuff and everybody thinks that it's easy but it's not. It's actually like the virtual stuff is really, really hard. And it's really confusing. Yeah, I got I to give you guys kudos for, for keeping up to that and, and learning almost on the fly uh, how those different platforms all work together or don't work together. And, and uh, so that's, that's, that's amazing. Now, wh what about um, after we start breaking out of the virtual and ob the obvious next step is these hybrid meetings. Is that what you're sort of sensing will happen? I think it will. I think it has to go hybrid before we can go full on back to live events. Uh, I don't think companies are going to find that their employees are going to want to necessarily travel to be in a room with another 1500 people. Because don't forget, we're doing our part, but then there's so you know, an event that's got 1500 people has a crew of maybe 40. Plus, what about all the people that work at the venue that actually have to move the tables, refresh the room, the all the food, the catering, the F&B and all that stuff. So, you know, there could be 2000 people in the room, yeah. 2500 people in the room. So you have to take that into consideration. So I don't think that we're going back full on. I think it's going to be hybrid. And I think it will be um, Come on, take a guess, Kate. Take a <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I do think it's going to be a hybrid. I think it's going to be that there's going to be smaller groups. Oh, I thought you were going to throw, throw a date out to us. Mm, you know what? I, I actually, right now, I have something on the books for August, and the person, the company that called me about it said, don't worry about it. We already know that that might not happen. Right as a live so it would go virtual mm -hmm. and we have put puts put in place going to virtual so, so they they have the plan i know you usually do a fairly big uh, uh event in january uh, that you've done for many years and uh, i'm just wondering is that something that you would go you know what that might work yeah i still think it's it's gonna be a combination of hybrid and but it also going to be where events might not be for four days they'll be for eight days and you'll split the audience in half right so yeah, you're that's you're you're booking venues for twice as long yeah uh but that's a cost thing yeah yeah we've talked about that with with a couple of people so far and and that seems to be uh the consensus that that a lot of these larger meetings will become you know one national meeting may become eight regional meetings and and those eight regional meetings will be hybrid as well so that the people who aren't traveling or or who aren't willing to travel uh still get to be a part of the the event 
Um, and yeah, how does that how does that trickle down to to cost when you're you know when you're booking a venue, you may not be booking that venue for four thousand people anymore, but if you're booking it for four weeks, what you know, what what and, are the cost implications? And are the are the costs of the venues the same as they were pre-COVID, or right. is the the venue going to start right. you know cutting some deals here? Sure. And then you add in the cost of doing the hybrid portion of it as well for the people who aren't traveling and tack that on. And how does that end up being received by our clients? This time, my shadow takes us to Winnipeg, Manitoba. If you ever go out that way for an event or a vacation, the Deer and Almond is an absolute must stop. The restaurant is located at 85 Princess Street in the heart of Winnipeg's Exchange District. To me, it's one of the best restaurants in Canada. On their website, it states that Chef Mandel Hitzer has created the restaurant of his dreams, full of friends, laughter and music. Deer and Almond serves tapas-style dishes, perfect for sharing in a relaxed and comfy environment, and I couldn't agree more. It should also be known that Emily Butcher, who is Chef de Cuisine, will be competing in the upcoming season of Top Chef Canada. Good luck, Emily. You can check them out at thedeerandalmond.com. Hope to see you soon. This thing with the the venues, I think it will immediately be cost beneficial for the client to book. Uh, I have a funny feeling, though, within about a quarter, so about three months after things look like they're okay so if let's say let's say uh november december there's a few shows that work and then january works and and then suddenly everybody wants a venue Mm -hmm. so so you may you may find yourself now saving you know oh i can get a, a venue for for two weeks for the price of a week and then in uh, March and April next year, oh, I can get a venue for uh, a week for the price of two weeks. Right. You know, so yeah. a complete reverse. So we'll we'll see uh, see how that goes. And now probably two more things, and we're kind of running uh, running long here. One of them was from a stage management point uh, of view, the show flow system. Uh, and the reason why I bring that up is because of. Uh, in this document that we had about the safety protocols from the Ministry of Labor. And one of the protocols might be reduction of paper handed around and how we can mitigate that by doing it more electronically. You know, there are some people who really love handing out the paper and then there's some people who really love going on online to do the shows. And do you see or have you seen this kind of creep in a bit more i know it was kind of creeping in and uh, no i mean i've used Showflow before uh personally i would do it in Showflow and then i would print it off a copy for myself because i like having a piece of paper in front of my face uh not because i don't trust technology or anything but i like being able to make quick notes for myself and i'm a visual person i can look down at a page uh, a printed page and see a lot clearer than seeing it on a computer screen. Uh, so I think some people will do that. And I think 
you know, why not do it on Showflow and everybody can basically print off what they want to print off. A lot of times the crews that I work with uh, use the paper only for the rehearsal. And then once we actually call the show, they put it aside and say, we're just listening to you, Tony. You're, we're following along with what you said. But they use, usually use that cue sheet for rehearsals and getting things ready so that that way during the show, they can concentrate on just getting it done. Um, I think Showflow probably will get used more or other, there's other ones as well, but those kind of platforms or software will get used a lot more, I think. And a lot of the times the younger stage managers that are coming up are extremely way more tech savvy than we are. <laughs> I, I was gonna say, it's probably a style thing, you know, what you get used to, and it's not necessarily not learning a new platform, but just what works for you. And I've right. certainly worked with a number of stage managers that that use Showflow, and it comes down to generally how you want to use it. I'm the same way. I will print it off to take notes during rehearsal, and will then just have it open during show so that I can follow the stage manager during show. But in many cases, I've seen stage managers print off the show flow, make their notes, and then update live. Right. right. So, so again, it's, uh, I would imagine it is. It's, it's, it's your comfort level to, to make sure you get your cues right. I don't know. For me, I also find that having a piece of paper, I'm, I'm able to con uh, let go of the paper and look up a lot more. I, for me, I, as a stage manager, I like looking up. I want to yeah. see what's happening in front of me. I don't want to get too bogged down by paper or uh, cues or because I like to be able to watch because you never know when the person all of a sudden decides, oh, I'm going into the audience now. Yeah, right. Uh, okay, I never knew that he was going to do that, but okay. That's why most, then, most of my cues are written on a piece of paper with a, a deep red Sharpie with a, a yellow highlighter around it. Uh-huh, yep. Just in case, you know, so if I'm looking up, I can look down, I can see that little square right away. I can go, bam, next cue. So for me, that's why I like paper, but... And really, it's just because I can find it on paper a lot easier than going to my monitor if I'm looking yeah. up and down. So. And then you look sure. down, you find out your monitor's gone to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wanted to get, like we always do, we do this to support local restaurants and bars around North America where we've been. Um, uh, and uh, we're hoping at one point that we will uh, be notifying the restaurants and and bars to to let them know that they were shouted out. We we've got uh, almost a couple hundred uh, listeners so far, not subscribers. So I need the couple <laughs> hundred subscribers so so we can start cashing in. I I, I was going to say that um, Andrew and I uh, because it it is March. We have I think uh, two weeks left. Uh, we are in the uh, subscriber challenge for our podcast. Uh, and if we get uh, another uh, 75 subscribers by the 30th of the month, we're in line for a toaster, the um, <laughs> four slicer. Are you going to share the toaster, like send it back and forth? Yeah, yeah. We, we'll have uh, toaster custody. We'll share toaster yeah. custody. So, uh, so if anybody's listening, please just go and subscribe to our podcast. If we actually have any listeners left at this point, um, 
but but uh, that would be very appreciated and uh, and hopefully we can keep these uh, these great uh, episodes coming about once every what did we say uh, 10 to 14 days or something we something like a, that but are there what are the rules on raffling off the toaster well, that might wow. really get subscriptions up <laughs> that, right there. It's a four slicer. It's a four slicer. No matter come which on, way you slice it, it's four. And it's the thick one, so you can you do your bagels. You can, you can do the the what's it the Texas toast, which is like yeah a, yeah. Um, so so Tony, did you did you actually spend some time and think about this and 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 have a shout out ready for us today? I did. I. I thought about it, and this restaurant, it's called uh, Dynasty Chinese Cuisine in Yorkville. And the reason why I picked Dynasty in Yorkville is because it's one of those places that you go to on Saturdays in the afternoon or Sunday, and you have dim sum, and you walk in, and the place is packed inside and outside, and there's large tables of families, uh, all together, or friends all together, and that's what I'm craving more so than the dim sum is actually the environment. So I can't wait to that for that to come back. And the food's really good. The you know dim sum is amazing, but I love um, I, that place. Uh, I have to tell you, Tony, that when you're looking around the room and going, you know, I love seeing t- tables with families. You better look really hard because quite often you will see us there. Yep. I, I go to the dynasty maybe once every, you know, every six to eight weeks because uh, it, it's a great dim sum place. Mm-hmm. It's, it's got a great location. And uh, you, you, the little trick is you just got to beat the crowd. Like that crowd comes yep. in at like one <laughs> o'clock and it's madhouse. But if you can get there at 1130 ish, yep. you usually get a, a pretty good table. And, uh, and the but food if you is get good. there at 1140, you have probably lost it. Wow. I'm so <laughs> surprised that you didn't have a, an Italian ready for me. But I, I'm I, Italian. I say, cook that at home. I know, I know. But, you know, whatever. And Dave, yeah. do yourself a favor. You know, the next time you go to Dynasty, wear one of your Lightworks masks, and therefore <laughs> Tony will know you're there. Oh, the whole family. Because <laughs> I've got, what did I say? I've got like about 1,500 of them here and the whole family I, <laughs> if you let me know when you're going maybe i'll, I'll outfit the entire restaurant with nice, <laughs> nice. Oh, dave's here dave, dave it's kind of hard to eat your your duck yeah <laughs> with a mask on come on yeah i love that place i love the 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 lazy susans that go around the table and yeah usually sir. saturdays or sundays yeah well, one day uh, when when we're all allowed to go, I think I'm going to phone you up and say, "Come and join us," because that that would be a, a hoot to have you down. To, I'll be could, there. We could play tug of lazy Susan. <laughs> I, hey, give me that. <laughs> give me that. Give me that. Uh, anyway, uh, Tony, thank you so much for your time today. And uh, I know we we started off a little bumpy. None, none of the audience will know about that. <laughs> that half now an hour they will. of trying to get the mics working and, and stuff. But yeah, I always keep these things quiet until the end. And by then they've listened to it, so they can't turn it off. <laughs> they have to They have to listen to Andrew and I's final banter. Right. We'll, we'll have it maybe every, every quarter we should do an outtakes version and just put it up there of the, the swearing and the, and the, the audio issues. And I, <laughs> nice hair. I think a special audio issue will be good because it'll just be like... 
hello? Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, thanks again, Tony. And, uh, and Andrew and I will uh, just hang around and, and uh, close this thing off. You can either sit there and make funny noise because I'm going to mute you because I know what you'll do if yeah. Andrew, yeah, you're going to jump in there and start swearing or something. Yeah. <laughs> it was a pleasure, Tony. Thanks very much for coming out. Thank you, guys. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, too. Yeah. Nice to see your face. Take care. Nice seeing yours, too. <laughs> see you, Tony. Bye. Well, there's a new perspective or a different perspective. We've got... Yeah, that was fantastic. We've got uh, projectionists. We've got TDs. Now now a, a very experienced uh, stage manager. And I, I have actually received messages from uh, people on uh, LinkedIn. And I think one of them you might have seen, which was, oh, we, sh we should start taking questions from lighting people. We've got right. two lighting directors on. And that was a, it was a wonderful comment. I was amazed to, to get the comment from the, the person who sent it. I thought that was, that was wonderful of uh, him to take the time to, to give us a little hello. But I think the reason why we did this wasn't just to have a well, the, uh, the X4 pan and tilts, and I think the color saturation on the reds is wonderful. It's not that podcast. This is right. a podcast about what's happening with our, with our world, and our world includes uh, everybody, right? It includes Absolutely. the stage management. It includes uh, the, the hoteliers, the restaurant owners. The, it includes everybody that touches us. The, we, could, we could take it into taxi drivers and you know, all, fish charters and stuff if we wanted to. Seems but, like uh, a pretty forward taxi driver, though. <laughs> yeah, so I think that hopefully people understand that it isn't a, a lighting broadcast. It's two lighting guys who have, I don't know, 50 years experience uh, in corporate events. And that's an awful long time. But uh, <laughs> maybe that's why I don't want to talk about lights. I want to talk, I want to, talk to the people that I, that I love in the business and that, uh, you know, check to see how they're doing and, and what their thoughts are about, you know, where, where we're going with this thing. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, it, you know, obviously it's fun to, to talk about all of the different jobs that uh, are within our industry and all the different jobs and, and professions that are in hospitality and production. But at the same time, it's great to get everyone's personal perspective, regardless of what they do, their personal perspective and what they've been doing over the last year uh, during this pandemic and what they plan to do in the future. Okay, Andrew, great talking. Great to have Tony Ambrosi on today. And uh, we will see you and hear from you. Enjoy your wonderful uh, vacay. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be reading the uh, yeah. the Ontario government uh, pamphlet that you've downloaded and which forwarded is, to me. Which is quite something for, for somebody who lives in Bend, Oregon, to be reading the Ontario uh, pamphlet. But I swear, this thing, this document is actually a great document uh, for any place. This is uh, just good reading. So I hope it uh, hope it all works out. Everybody stay safe and we'll do lots of shows soon. So thanks very much, everybody. Thank you. We'll see you and talk to you soon. Yep. Thanks again to Tony for coming out and playing. That's like four thank yous. I think this is enough. <laughs> okay. Ciao. Uh, bye. Well, Andrew, again, I'd say that's a wrap. We want to thank our guests for joining us and sharing their experiences. We would also really like to thank you, the listener, for your time and support of this podcast. And don't forget that we're all in it together, so help out where you can and support everyone going through tough times right now. 
We hope to see everybody back on the road soon. See you later. <laughs>